Belchirot, Isidobea. Welcome to the Village Oak Tree for January 10th, 2024. My name's Terrence O'Donnell, and I'm back again to your village with more news from the outside world. Come sit with me around the fireplace as I bring you another week's worth of news from around the world and an editorial about something special. If you're a first-time viewer or listener, I have created a short advertisement from my podcast and website for you to listen to during my break while I wet my whistle a little bit before the second half. I have a bunch of news stories for you today. Some of you know, some of you don't. Some you've heard of in in your own news feeds, some probably not because they're from outside the United States. So coming up in the second half this week, I want to talk about immigration and the stress it's causing, which really doesn't need to be. So let's start off with my first story, a news story of the week. And my, it came out last week. Vietnam's VinFast to set up 500 million EV facilities, 500, $500 million EV facilities in India. This is from Reuters. So with stories like this coming from overseas, the U.S. automakers must be sweating buckets by now. It seems that the world is starting to really move on past the United States these days. This city in southern India has become the world's version of Detroit, Michigan on steroids and expanding rapidly. Between the Vietnamese and Chinese, the worldwide EV manufacturing business is surpassing the Yanks by leaps and bounds. And there's nothing the Americans can do about it now. They waited too long, and now it's too late. With all the restrictions that the U.S. automakers got Congress to set up for them, it's all coming back to haunt them now. And that's what happens when you don't want to share. China-U.S. cooperation, no longer an option, but an imperative by Wang Yi. This by Liz Lee and Ethan Wang in Reuters.com. So here we are. Even the Chinese are telling the Americans to settle down and behave like grown-ups. The world's superpowers, minus Putin's Russia and North Korea, do, not, do need to set aside their animosities and start working together to save the planet. Between the two of them, they could make some serious inroads towards combating global warming and the climate changes that are coming with it. The two countries have the most scientists and the brightest minds. Why can't they play nice together? Well, we know the answer to that, and I lean towards the American version. China to sanction five U.S. manufacturers over arms sales to Taiwan Ministry, also from Reuters. And now for some tit for tat for the, by the Chinese. This time they're hitting the U.S. military-industrial complex. Are these companies going to whine to Congress now over these sanctions? You can bet on it. Get the GOP all riled up against the Chinese again, even more so than they already are. And even though the U.S. started it, so so much for cooperation, like I mentioned in, in the previous story. Quote, guilty until proven innocent, unquote. Chinese firm challenges U.S. law on Uyghur forced labor. Nine Star, a Chinese laser printer manufacturer, has sued after it and, it and seven, other, seven of its subsidiaries were barred from exporting goods into the U.S. Once added to the law's entity list, a firm cannot send products to the U.S. unless it, unless it proves that no forced labor was involved in the supply chains. And this one came from the South China Morning Post by Kubu Razdan, and it's, uh, this, this reporter stationed in Washington. The trade war between the U.S. and China is getting hotter by the month. Now the U.S. is sanctioning more Chinese companies by telling them they violated a U.S. law by using Uyghurs for forced labor and putting the honors on them to prove the U.S. wrong. 
If the U.S. doesn't want the Chinese to export any of their products to the U.S., just say so and be done with it. Stop all this shady dealing. If the U.S. doesn't want their stuff, they can make their own. Oh yeah, I forget. The U.S. told all their factories decades ago to, it's okay to move out of the U.S. and into cheaper countries to, to, for cheaper labor. And all this for the free trade agreements. If I were the Chinese and could trade elsewhere without losing a lot of money, I'd shut them off and tell the Yanks to buy their stuff from someone else. Iraq prepares to close down the U.S.-led coalition mission, PM. This is PM, me and Prime Minister, by Ahmed Rashid and Phil Stewart in Reuters. And so it starts. If Trump gets elected, those troops will be gone quickly. He'll bring them home like he tried to do with the other ones. If Biden wins, he may feel pressure by the military-industrial complex to do everything he needs with Iraq to keep the troops there to continue to fight ISIS, which is nearly extinct. Now, why can't the U.S. let these countries manage their own affairs? Maybe because of the money involved. Think about how much money in defense contracts will be lost if the U.S. gets told to go home. So there's more to this story since I posted this there late last week. The, the Iraqi prime minister has basically said, we want to, we're going to figure out how to make the Americans go home. And the U.S. is saying, oh, no, you're not. So this is going to get interesting here before we have we have got a resolution. So now we're going to end into some climate change stuff. Avian, avian flu detected in polar bear in Alaska. Case highlights growing concern about risk of H5N1 spread among mammals from CBC News. There, there have been multiple reports of how avian flu is jumping around, and here's another. How long before it becomes another pandemic? Well, it is kind of a pandemic about the bird populations around the world. As if humans don't have enough viruses out there to kill us off, now we have this one lingering on the horizon. And this is not a new thing. This avian flu has been in the news on and off for several years now. Um, of course, we know it's devastating bird populations, and they're all scared it's going to jump to the humans. Well, if bears can catch it, how soon can other animals get it enough to, in enough numbers to start decimating populations like they are the birds? Well, that's a good question. They're finding it, but not in enough numbers to get everybody all worried about it. But it may be coming. It's full of green areas, unquote. Mystery of Europe's heat death hotspot. Hot weather has proved deadlier in the Croatian city of Osijek than any other European city, but little is being done to, to work out why. This is from TheGuardian.com, World News by Ajit Naranjan in Osijek. So here's a warning shot across about the world regarding global warming. In a supposed climate buffer nestled between an ocean and some rivers, people are dying in the 38 sea heat of summer. In his article, the scientists attribute bad diets, an uptick of mosquitoes, and indifference in big contributors, much like the rest of the world, especially in Europe and North America. And a big thing what they're talking about here is this particular area of Croatia is nestled right on the ocean on one side and a river on the other. And because of warming, it's, it's, we've had an increase of mosquitoes over there. And with warming weather, people are getting sick and dying. And, you know, they're not taking any precautions, no face masks, none of that kind of stuff. Nobody's getting any shots over there for anything. So more people are dying. A chemical disaster occurred almost every day in 2023. Petrochemical incidents aren't always as visible as the East Palestine train derailment, but at least 322 have happened last year. And I got this one from heated.world 
Um, it's a Substack page here from Emily Atkin. Um, and, you know, I get her stuff pretty regularly. And I will, you know, I post, the, you know, really stand out ones here every once in a while. So the unreported environmental disasters happening all over the country that only the local news reports rarely gets beyond town lines anymore, much like mass shootings. In the news for a day, then gone from the collective minds of the country as better clickbait takes its place. So what this means is that 322 petrochemical spills in the United States in 2023, and only a couple of them made it past the local news. That's pretty sad. Kind of like the mass shootings like she was talking about. You know, makes local news, clickbait for a day or two, then it's gone. Dying in the fields as temperatures soar. Scores of California farm workers are dying in the heat in regions with chronically bad air, even in a state with one of the toughest heat standards in the nation, by Lisa Gross and Peter Aldous. And this from Inside Climate News. This is the fate of any immigrants that make it across the borders and any other non-English-speaking, unskilled, uneducated, darker-skinned people in the U.S. Work to death in a warming climate and tossed aside to be replaced by another desperate worker who knows the odds but needs the work anyway. How is this not modern-day version of indentured servitude? And what's going on here is that the article itself talks about how farm workers and construction workers and, and things like that are dying of heat stroke and heat stress, um, but nobody really cares. Well, they just replace them with other people who are desperate for work, and they don't really pay a lot of attention to their papers because they're desperate for labors. So I'm thinking, yeah, some seriously, something seriously wrong with the United States here. This country is drawing praise with its creative method for generating electricity. Quote, this should be adopted worldwide, unquote, an amazing innovation, unquote, by Laurel Steele in the cool down. India's idea of installing solar panels over its water canals solves a couple of problems, and they're being praised for their innovation. The idea generates electricity while stopping a lot of water evaporation. The, world's, the world needs more ideas like this. Um, and they started to do something like this over in California, and then everybody got, got all in an uproar about it. So, I mean, I think over in India, that's a good thing. Um, I don't understand why people are getting so upset about it here over in the West. Over in the West, Scientists have discovered tiny bits of plastic linked to cancer in raindrops. Quote, it's a part of our environment now, unquote. Quote, there's more plastic out there than meets the eye, unquote, by Kenneth Amen in the cool down. So it's everywhere now, including in our bodies. Not just humans, but every living being on this planet. It's in the rainwater, the snow, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers, in the clouds, waiting to rain or snow on us. This stuff can cause cancer when ingested. As I told everyone in articles last week, scientists are working on solutions to clean the microplastics out of our environment. But they aren't far enough along in their research to build a massive world-cleaning machine to remove all this microplastic yet. Meanwhile, all life on this planet will just continue to suffer. Norway votes for deep sea mining despite environmental concerns. Parliament votes 80 to 20 in favor, while scientists warn mining could devastate marine life. This one from the Guardian.com environment by Miranda Bryan at Stockholm. This sets a precedent for the corporate world who have been itching to tear up the ocean's floors in their pursuit of the new goal for profits the so-called needed elements for batteries and technology. 
even though applications have to be approved by the Norwegian parliament, it won't be much longer before the corporate world starts tearing up the world's seabeds, further ruining the planet's ecosystems. It's a sad state. I mean, I've, I've talked about this in previous podcasts where the corporate world is desperate to get out of the Pacific Ocean, a Canadian company especially, and they're wanting South Pacific Islanders to give them permission to go out there and tear up the oceans, and now here off the coast of Norway. I mean, pretty soon, you know, if we keep going, the planet's not going to be habitable. Did a handmaid's court just sentence red state women to die? Will excluding pregnant women, but not their fetuses, from EMTL-ALA be the proverbial straw that breaks the back of a 38-year-old GOP scam? This one from Tom Hartman in his, in his Substack page. More politics revolving around abortion rights again. Certain states, like Texas and Idaho, want to put the fetus's right to life over the life of the mothers now. If any woman, and if any women who are of childbearing age living in these states, they better take notice. Your lives are now being used as political pawns and are worth nothing to these men who only want the ultimate power in their fiefdoms. If you have an opportunity, you better leave these states now while you still can. There's a police state coming to a state near you if they get their way. The Fifth Circuit judge, the Fifth Circuit just made it even more dangerous to be pregnant in a red state. The Trumpiest court in America just tried to neutralize a federal law requiring most hospitals to provide medically necessary abortions by Ian Milheiser. And this is from TheVox.com. More on the Fifth Circuit Court with Trump judges running it and the latest attempt to let Texas rewrite the EMTALA federal statute. In his article, the writer says that the court had no business hearing this case in the first place. These people are so bent on making any kind of abortion illegal, they are willing to buck the federal government to make their own laws. It's beginning to sound like these states want to set out their own laws while still drawing a federal paycheck. The people of Solano County versus the next tech billionaire dystopia. If the Silicon Valley plutocrats have their way, a swath of Solano County will be transformed into their own nation state. Solano County is in California. So this one I got from the NewRepublic.com by Gil Duran. So California forever, a new city that a bunch of tech billionaires want to create out in California hinterland of Solano County. They want to set up their own private city with their own rules, beholden to nobody but their own city government. No state or federal laws need apply. Does this sound like a private kingdom in the making or what? I don't think there's a provision in the Constitution for anything like that. You know, at least within the nation's borders. This is what happens when you have too much money and nowhere to spend it outside of your own self-serving ends. And there's a lot of concern here. Now, these plutocrats haven't gotten permission from Solano County to do this. They're supposed to be going to be putting it up for a boat. But they are lobbying hard with all their you know, ill-gotten gains to try and convince these people to let them have their own private city out here. And that's, I tell you, that's, a, that's something you don't want to get started. The ultra-wealthy are sitting on $8.5 trillion in untaxed 2022 profits report. Thanks to a tax code slanted toward billionaires and centimillionaires, the government is missing out on huge sums that can help fund critical programs. How 0.5% of the U.S.'s wealthiest citizens are sitting on all this money and able to bypass paying taxes due to a loophole in the tax laws. 
This is due to something called unrealized gains, which is not taxable until they're sold. Then there's another loophole called stepped-up basis that erases capital gains for taxes when the wealthy pass on their fortunes as inheritances. The other statistic noted in this report was that 90% is held by white people. So why is that not a surprise? By Molly Redden in the Huff, Huff Post. Now we're going to go into immigration here. Sinn Féin walks immigration tightrope toward power in Ireland. Mary Lou MacDonald seeks support on the left as she eyes victory, even as her Nationalist Party's grassroots veers right over migration. And this from PoliticoEU.com. And this from Sean Pogotchnik in Politico.eu. The immigration topic is a hot-button issue in nearly every country in the Northern Hemisphere these days. And Ireland's no different after the recent knifing and riots in Dublin late last year. Sinn Féin is in trouble with 30% of their base starting to split off over this issue and the party's losing people to more far-right politicians. This is unusual for a nationalist party, but as Sinn Féin has been trying to be a bit centrist and national at the same time, there's some grumbling and defections in the ranks now. Not something they need as they're campaigning for the primary seat in the Republic's government here in 2024. Russian anti-war activists could lose Canadian citizenship bid over conviction abroad. Blogger convicted of misinformation in Russia surprised to learn it may disqualify her immigration case by Matthew Kupfer in CBC News. So she was prosecuted and judged guilty in absentia for two blog posts criticizing the Kremlin and his guilty verdict in sentencing in, sentencing in Russia may run afoul of Canadian law. If she gets deported or extradited to Russia, she'll be put in jail for at least 10 years over there. The grass is not always greener on the other side, and Canada's no exception. Maybe she can claim asylum. So when I wrote, you know, I said this when the article first came out. So now, after about three, four days, Canada backtracks on citizenship denial for Russian anti-war activists. Blogger Maria Kartasheva was convicted of misinformation in Russia, again by Matthew Kupfer and CBC News. Good news after quite a scare. She finally was able to complete her citizenship ceremony this week on Tuesday, and she can relax a little bit because now she's a Canadian citizen, doesn't have to worry about deportation or extradition. Legal migration to EU must increase as workforce ages, Commissioner says. And this is from Reuters. This EU commissioner hits the nail right on the head. Legal immigration needs to happen everywhere in a controlled environment, something the U.S. can take a lesson from. All over the wealthiest countries, the workforce is aging out, and they need to be replaced by younger immigrants. This can be managed if there's a will to do so. So far, that will is missing due to this fear of others. So now I have an article here. Um, this is from Africa. And this is more of a social justice thing here. T.B. Joshua, megachurch leader, raped and tortured worshipers, BBC finds. And as I said, this comes from BBC by Charlie Northcutt and Helen Spooner. This is what happens when someone becomes so famous that he thinks that no one can touch him and those who perpetuate the lies for money. This so-called African Christian minister operated with impunity on Lagos, torching and raping women for years. Apparently, this is still going on there on the compound now, run by his widow. 
My question is how they convinced all these gullible people to join in the first place. And what I say this is there's a lot, there was a lot of European women who were in this suit that they filed here um, because they were raped and tortured um, over Lagos. I mean, how could you, how could you even buy into this and, and go to Lagos for this kind of thing? I can't, I guess that's the, the thing about addictions to cults, I guess. The Cuban spying case that has shocked the U.S. government. Now, this is also from BBC and by Will Grant in Havana. In a shock to the CIA, a top-ranking ex-diplomat has been charged with spying for Cuba's DGI service for over 40 years. Manuel Roja in the, for, is the former U.S. ambassador to Bolivia. They don't know yet how much information was turned over to the Cuban government yet in, in all those years, but the trial, if the CIA lets it aim it out, should be real interesting. Another big embarrassment for the United States CIA, as if they didn't have any enough of that going on right now. Italian, fa fa Italian fascists salute images spark political uproar. By Laura Gauzy, Rome correspondent Mark Lowen in BBC.com. It's a sign of the times in Europe. More right-wing rhetoric and permissive attitudes. Will followers of Benito Mussolini make a large comeback in the near future? A very real possibility is Italy's two top politicians are big fans of his. And what this talks about is a group of Italians uh, start raising the fascist salute, uh, clicking the heels and raising their right arms. And it was a big deal in Australia here uh, not long back that they were doing this. Australia said, no, you're not let, we're not letting you do that. And they banned all that kind of stuff here within the last few days. Good for Australia. Not so good for Italy. ethnic conflict in India, Manipur, has completely ruined businesses. More than eight months of ethnic violence in Manipur has led to an unprecedented loss to the economy and business. And this one from aljazeera.com economy section by Gurvinder Singh. This is a lesson that North Americans should take to heart. Ethnic conflicts are bad for business, as the U.S. and Canadians can see, if they were to get their white privileged heads out of the sand and look around. Cooperation with your neighbors is the best way towards a less stressful life and financial prosperity. Spain makes face masks mandatory in hospitals as flu and COVID cases surge. Rules reintroduced as common sense measure, despite opposition from some regional administrations. This is from TheGuardian.com World by Sam Jones in Madrid. Another lesson for the rest of the world. Masks are starting to make a comeback in some places. This is a good thing, as these SARS variants are wreaking havoc all over the world, especially in the U.S. this winter, but few in the West seem to care right now. And I can attest to that. I wear a mask everywhere I go outside my house, but I'm probably in a, in a one percentile right now. At least 33 Canadian churches have burnt to the ground since May, 20, May of 2021. Only two were accidents. CBC investigation finds steep rise in church fires since reports of potential graves at residential schools by Terry Wraith and CBC News. So I, I picked this one up this morning. And this is my last news story here for today. In Western Canada, notably in British Columbia, seems that the revelations of mass unmarked graves as yet to be officially revealed are stirring up some people who have decided to take revenge on the Christians for what they did during the Christian boarding school days. Although I don't condone the destruction of property, I don't blame them for being angry either. And what they're talking about here is that 
they had 33 churches that got burnt in the last couple of years, burnt to the ground. And only two of them were actually deemed accidents. The rest of them were arson. There's some of them that are still under investigation, but they're pretty sure that they were deliberately set. And there's fear to some degree that these were set, the fires were set by uh, local indigenous young people over there. They're angry over all these graves. And, you know, this is, this is kind of a, a national thing in, in Canada here where they've had a lot of issues with all of these uh, Christian boarding schools. You know, as I've said in previous podcasts, Canada is trying to come to terms with that and make reparations and all kinds of stuff like that. But obviously it's not quite mean enough. Here in the United States, they're ignoring it. They don't care. Whatever we did at these boarding schools, well, well, too bad. And of course, the, the Native Americans in the United States really don't have a whole lot of recourse, unfortunately. So that's the end of the first half. It's time to take my break uh, and go get a drink um, and you know dry my throat a little bit. So while on my break, go ahead and listen to my commercial. And then please stay tuned for my op-ed of the week in the second half of the show. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. I want to take this time during my break to talk to you about donating to my cause, if you can, and give a little info on how to find my website and what's inside. The show is free to subscribe to on all major podcast apps, including Substack and YouTube, with the donations tab on the Village Oak Tree webpage at rss.com and my website at crownofbeha.com on the donations page for anyone that feels generous enough to support my work. Think of it as passing the hat at the end of my visits to your village. If you like what I have to say here, please share this podcast with everyone you know as much as possible before it gets too late. My motive is not for money, but to make a difference in a world, and I can't do it without your help. For each article I present to you, there will be links to read the stories in their entirety in the follow-up newsletters posted in medium.com, substat.com, and in the blog section of my website, which is free to everyone. Now, I want to explain how to find my website, crownofbeha.com. Just type in www.crann-na-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. You may also use the link in the newsletters on medium.com and substack.com or the podcast transcripts on rss.com and substack.com to find it for the first time. The name is Gaelic and may be a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. Then bookmark it if you wish to return again. I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like my blog posts, you can be notified whenever I post something new. Search for chronobeha.com in your RSS feeder and set it up to receive the updates. Users finding the website for the first time will reach the welcome page to learn a little bit about what's inside. There you'll see a homepage link where you can learn a little more about what Chronobeha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little more about me in general. On the menu bar at the top, there are links to a blog session where I post podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories and poems, a drop-down menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page linked to PayPal for your personal data security, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. Everything I write is available in the blog section of my website for free. If you like what you see, feel free to leave a message in the comment page anytime. I'll respond fairly quickly within reason. Enjoy the music, and I'll be back with the second half shortly.
Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. This week, I want to talk about immigration. To be more specific, the hot mess immigration problem at the southern U.S. border. I know, every journalist in the U.S. has said something about this many times over, and the situation never changes. There are thousands of immigrants trying to get into the country, fleeing very every bad scene imaginable, and some you can't imagine unless you see it for yourself. They, become, they come from all over the world because the grand U.S. immigration marketing program backfired. Back in, the two, back in the last two previous centuries, the U.S. government developed an advertising campaign to attract immigrants from Europe to come to the United States to settle all of the land areas from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Anyone with darker skin or Catholic were treated as uncivilized as they were deemed inferior peoples by the white Protestants controlling the country back then. But they still kept coming. Here in the early 20, you know, here in the early 21st century, immigration demographics have changed again. Now it's anyone trying to cross the border without a work visa and a suitcase full of cash. The Republicans are using their border as a scare tactic to keep themselves in power, and the bigots are all about keeping the, all the immigrants out, except the useful ones. Which brings me to my first article of the day. This is a satirical piece of immigration from a medium writer who gave me permission to read it to you. I warn you, it's pretty harsh. There are no sweary words, um, you know, no curse words or anything, but it's an in-your-face reality check for those anti-immigration privileged Americans who don't want any darker-skinned immigrants coming to their country. Immigrants, a squandered resource. Mr. Biden, tear down that wall by Michael Campy. Now, he lives out near, San, near Santa Cruz, California. Our, nation's de our nation depends on immigrants' labor, and I hope we can create an immigration system as de dependable as they are, by Luis Gutierrez. I contend that the evil hordes of brown devils searching like a tsunami towards our southern borders to kill our children, rape our women, addict us to drugs, and plant anchor babies to ensure their future dominance in our once great country are being wasted. We should instead welcome them with open arms. We are at a cross purposes. We hate them and at the same time refuse to mow our own lawns, pick our own produce, slaughter and cut up our own meat, build our own buildings, clean our own houses, and take care of our children. The very fabric of the American way of life is threatened by our insistence on keeping the immigrants out. Here's my proposal. These people are considered less than human by most of white America, and I believe we can reap huge rewards by taking advantage of their desire to live in the greatest country since sliced bread, and do our dirty work by removing all immigration controls, open the borders, disband ICE, eliminate border patrols, and give the immigrants swimsuits so they don't get their clothes wet when they swim across the Rio Grande. Since their destiny is to serve us, we should allow them the freedom to live out their greatest dreams. They are disposable, so why not let them work in all the most dangerous jobs? It won't matter if they die of exposure or get killed or maimed in a meat packing plant because there will always be more. This can be a cradle-to-grave proposition since there is no sense in letting them go to waste. We can abandon child labor laws so that the pups will be just as useful as the adults, and when they die, they can be composted to feed the growing needs of industrial agriculture. Imagine the joy they will feel as they spread the composted remains of their friends and family on the fields where they labor. They seem to be perfectly happy in menial work, and we should be cognizant of that. 
They can live in broken down trailers or bad parts of town. They are comfortable sharing a one-bedroom apartment with several other families, which makes them space efficient. And they seem to have an infinite capacity for hanging out in the parking lots of home improvement stores, waiting for us to bestow our largesse on them. Their only needs, their their only real needs, are a ready supply of burritos and cheap beer, which can be manufactured easily in broken-down factories by none other than immigrant labor. They are practically maintenance-free, and they reproduce like rabbits, having nothing better to do with their downtime than having sex and sing mariachi tunes while standing around a 55-gallon drum with a fire in it and drinking beer. There will be no objections to this proposal, primarily from white people, who will protest his violation of human rights and between giving the nanny instructions in broken Spanish and screaming to be heard over the sound of weed blowers and lawnmowers. Those objections will, of course, dwindle over time, as the people making them face the specter of getting their hands dirty and washing their own clothes. I do believe that the survival of this country will be wholly dependent on reducing brown people to the level of a renewable resource and then taking advantage of that new point of view. They do, after all, redefine renewable resources, more, more so than electric cars, windmills, and solar panels. The pros and cons. Pros. Infinite supply. Willingness to just, about any, to do just about anything. Unable to protest due to lack of proficiency in English. Clever and adaptable. Self-cleaning for the most part, but some of them do smell bad. Unwavering dedication to making us feel better about ourselves by smiling and being friendly, especially when one of us learns how to say gracias, senor. Nothing gives their childlike sense of appreciation a boost more than a white person saying thank you in their language. Cons. I couldn't think of any. The next time you're thinking about voting for some sort of anti-immigrant law, think about my proposal. Think about the hours you would spend doing menial labor if a law like that passed. Hours that could be better spent doing important white people stuff like going out for coffee and discussing, discussing venture capitalism or the latest, latest iPhone version, going to town council meetings to advocate for the removal of the homeless in your city's, city's parks putting up cute diversity signs in your front yard, attending yoga classes, protesting against something that is happening in a foreign country, attending sunny brunches or wine tastings, going to an inclusive church that welcomes all people, mostly so you can go to church, pretend to care, and be surrounded by mostly white, straight people who share your desire to be inclusive and concerned, taking your children to expensive private schools so they too can learn to be tolerant and understand understanding without the burden of actually having to be tolerant and understanding. Do you really want to waste your life doing things for yourself? Do you really want to spend your valuable white person time on cooking your own food? The next time you're being served a tasty salad in a chick restaurant or buying expensive organic produce at your local Whole Foods store or buying artisanally made bread, think about how awful these experiences would be if you had to make your own salad, pick your own produce, or bake your own bread. I implore you to support this proposal. Our future is as an entitled, lazy, self-righteous, and largely useless population depends on it. As I said, that it's an interesting article. It's meant to be satirical, um, but take it for what it's worth. My next article is one I picked out from my friend Mitch at Medium.com. He wrote a piece about the fertility rates in the world's richest countries, and some not so rich, and he lays the blame for infertility on pollution, most specifically plastic pollution. As we know, P 
PFAs and other related chemicals used in every part of the human race's daily lives nearly everywhere in the world, except places so poor that they still rely on outdated, an arbitrary term given the current mess the planet is in, technology, and ancient cultural practices. Mostly um, Central Africa and East Africa. This infertility issue is creating very low birth, birth rates to such a degree that whole cultures are reeling and wondering on a low level about what may become of them as populations age out. There are some countries decrying the overwhelming rush of immigrants who want to replace them and erase their cultures. They're worrying about not having enough younger people to maintain an adequate workforce to keep the countries going. So it's entitled, We're Facing a Collapse in Global Fertility. Women aren't the source of the problem. It's time to face the truth. It's time we stop blaming women for population collapse taking place across the globe. The problem is modernity in itself, and enacting draconian laws that refuse basic reproductive care for women is both stupid and counterproductive. There is a school in Japan with two students. It's not a one-room building by any means. It's an entire school that has been in existence for over seven years and saw thousands graduate. But now it's about to close down for good. It's because they ran out of children to keep the school going. In the last 20 years, more than 9,000 schools have been closed all over Japan. The problem is that Japan's birth rate has collapsed below replacement levels. Not enough children are being bored, and this has some scary consequences. We'll explore them further on. However, Japan isn't the only country where birth rates have collapsed. The BBC documents 23 of the world's major nations are facing catastrophic dem demographic decline. And this article is from BBC. It's called Fertility Rate, Jaw-Dropping Global Crash in Children Being Born. Among the 23 countries facing a halving of their populations are Japan, Spain, Portugal, Thailand, South Korea, China. India is expected to supplant China as the world's most populous country by the turn of the century. In countries where births are falling, older folks make up the majority of the working population. We see this clearly in Japan. Now, he's got a graph here that's in the article, which I will include in the newsletters. It says, in Japan, one in three people aged 70 to 74 and approximately 50% of people aged 65 to 69 are, are current, still currently working. And this is from Nippon.com. It's not surprising that as they age, they will need more care, may be less productive, depending on the industry, and above all, pay less taxes to prop up the social contract. Who will take care of this aging population? Who will work the fields to produce food, join the police force, defend the borders, build, repair, and maintain the infrastructure? Without a vibrant workforce, these countries face economic ruin. To head this off, some nations, like the USA, adopt immigration policies that bolster their working populations. America's birth rate has stubbornly been stuck below replacement levels since 1972, and our population is aging out, aging out of the workforce. At the same time, facing challenges to maintain a stable pool of labor, moves are being made in the U.S. to push the retirement age to 70. If it's passed into law, don't be surprised. Social Security is expected to be out of funds by 2033. And this one here is at money.usnews.com um, about the raising the age limit. What's causing the problem? The BBC article suggests women are the source of the problem. 
that access to education, work, and contraception have led women to make choices that de-emphasize childbirth. Without doubt, these are contributing factors in the collapse of global fertility, but they don't reveal the true scope of our predicament, and it's unfair to place the burden of blame on women. The crux of the problem is toxic and unavoidable exposure to chemicals that cause reproductive harm. The Endocrine Society points out that there are seven harmful chemical types found in plastics we use in modern society. And this one here from endocrine.org. The chemicals listed in the article are bisphenols, alkaphenols, PFAs, brominated fire retardants, dioxins, phthalates, UV stabilizers. Bisphenols, including BPA, there are others, there are, these are found in many places, ranging from CDs and toys to can liners, automotive parts, thermal printed receipts, flooring, eyeglasses, and reusable water bottles. The National Library of Health states that everyone is exposed to BPA through skin ingestion and inhalation. NIH points out there is an increasing evidence that BPA has an impact on human fertility and is responsible for the reproductive pathologies, e.g. testicular dysgenesis syndrome, cryptokinism cancers, and decreased fertility in male and follicle loss in female. There's no doubt that bisphenols cause harm to human fertility. There's another article here from NCBI, the government. Alkaphenols. These are found in a wide range of products, e.g. fragrances, tires, adhesives, detergents, personal care products. Endocrine Society states they mimic estrogen and disrupt reproductive systems. Alkaphenols are linked to male infertility, low sperm count, and disrupted prostate development. Studies have shown occupational exposures is associated with heightened risk of male and female breast cancers. PFAs, Endocrine Society states, Perfluorinated chemicals are widely used in water and stain-resistant clothing, food contact wrappers, lubricants, carbon treatments, paints, or cookware, and is dispersant in firefighting foams. I've written about PFAs before. They contaminate the environment and can be found in rainwater, groundwater, and consequently in our food. They are used in the manufacture of paper products, including female hygiene products, and are especially concentrated in recycled paper. There is no way to escape exposure to PFAs in modern environment. Science Direct notes, studies have shown that both long and short chain PFAs disrupt normal reproductive function in women through altering hormone secretion, menstrual cyclicity, and fertility. I won't delve into the other chemicals, it's more of the same. The water point is that these chemicals cause reproductive harm and are found in ordinary everyday plastic that we have no way of avoiding in a modern civilization. Here's another article by the Best Dentist Guide. Is your toothbrush BPA-free? PFAs in particular are so important to the military, considered an issue of national security. should be clear that we are not going to stop using plastics. Modern civilization requires manufacture and use. Every aspect of our lives is touched by plastics in one form or another. And another article from The Guardian. Many soft contact lenses in the U.S. are made of a PFAs. This leads me to believe that we face a continuous and pernicious exposure to the chemicals and plastics that impair human and non-human fertility. There are no alternatives we can bring to the market in time to prevent the collapse of the human population. To test the argument, 
We should expect places that are less modern, less exposed to the toxic chemical brew of modern civilization to still have uh, healthy reproductive rates. Where would you find populations less touched by modernity? According to the BBC, the population of sub-Saharan Africa is expected to treble in size to more than 3 billion people by 2100. Nigeria will become the world's second biggest country with a population of 791 million. We will have many more people of African descent in many more countries as we go through this. Global recognition of the challenges around racism are going to be all the more critical if there are large numbers of people of African descent in many countries. It's time we stop blaming women for the population collapses taking place across the globe. The problem is more problem is modernity itself and enacting draconian laws that refuse basic reproductive care for women is both stupid and counterproductive. The problem is in fact so unsolvable. There is no way to have a modern society without exposing us to vulnerable populations. There is no way to have a modern society without exposing us as vulnerable populations to the toxic products of civilization itself. It's time to face this honestly. We're the problem. And that's that's that article here. So imagine the United States without any immigrants. What if the descendants of the original English colonists using their mighty navy and army had kept out everyone except themselves? What would North America look like now? Would there still be a large portion of the white population living the privileged lifestyles they are now? Or would North America become a failed colony, with the colonists dying off due to fighting with the indigenous peoples, disease, and famine? Without all the other Europeans and other immigrants arriving as they did, I doubt the colonists and their descendants could have gotten as far as they did on their own, despite the high birth rate and better military technology. Look at the Spaniards and the French. They couldn't hold on and lost out to the descendants of the English eventually. But what if the English had never made it all the way out west? Things might be a lot different in the southwest and west coast areas of the United States that Spain had colonized. Spain was a brutal colonizer, so the indigenous peoples might still be enslaved to a degree this day if they were still in charge out there. Other peoples to the rest of the world would probably go somewhere else to immigrate to rather than North America in order to be free. As it is now, there are still a lot of descendants of the white Europeans that would, that would re-embrace slavery or a form of it in a heartbeat if they knew they could get away with it. Look at how people and immigrants with darker skins are treated in a large portion of North America by these privileged white people in today's world. They're only allowed to work the jobs that the white people don't want to do, like meat processing centers, landscapers, hotel maids, house cleaners, heavy construction, or any number of other vocations that are inherently dangerous are considered beneath well-to-do, privileged white people's social stations. The descendants of the African slaves fare marginally better after 150 years, but not as equals in most regions of the continent. For anyone of darkened skin, it becomes a matter of money. If you come to the Americas with money in hand, you're welcomed a lot better than if you don't have enough to sustain yourselves with at least a middle-class income. I read another article recently about how the African-Americans are against so many non-English-speaking immigrants coming to the U.S. They're afraid that too many will take away these same jobs that the white people allowed them to have, and they'll be on the outside looking in more than they already are. 
if the U.S. were to shut off all immigration and, and asylum seekers from any in the U.S., who would do these ugly jobs? I don't see the privileged white people or the, wealthy, or the wealthiest scrubbing public toilets and floors, picking fruit and, and vegetables at corporate farms, or the dirtiest construction jobs. What if there were nowhere else to, no one else to do it anymore? The country would go belly up, that's what. No economy or society can manage for long without outside diversity. It would grow stagnant and break down. Without immigrants, everything fails eventually in a slow death. Diversity is a must for a healthy society. The trouble with the United States is a fear of the criminal cartels from south to the border, something brought on by previous Republican presidents and legislators desperate to keep their job for another four years. Granted, the criminal cartels are something to be feared, but not near as much as the fear mongers would have us believe here in North America. The fear is just to keep certain men in charge and, and women who want to be part of that bad boy club. It's all about power over others which follows the beliefs the Europeans brought with them when they set out to conquer the world in the late 1400s. If you remember any of my editorials from last summer about exceptionalism given to the Europeans, starting with the Portuguese in the 1490s, as dispensed by the then Pope, any other peoples in the world who are not Christians or of darker skins are to be enslaved and brought to Christianity by force as necessary, something Europeans took to heart when they started sailing around the world. Which leads me to another couple of articles I found by a Native American from Costa Rica. She writes under the pseudonym, Your Native Friend. I won't read these as I haven't asked permission, but I will give you the titles and a summary of what she wrote here. Was Rape Common in America Before Colonization? The Story They Never Told You in School by Your Native Friend in Medium.com. So it's a short article that talks about the cultural differences between the indigenous peoples in the Americas versus the Europeans who came to conquer them and take everything of value from them, including the people one way or another. In this case, by raping the women to terrorize them or exert their authority over the Native Americans. They enslaved any they could, transporting a lot to Europe or just working them to death, digging out all the valuables from the earth to transport back to Europe. Speaking of transporting to Europe, her next article is about that transporting Native Americans to Europe to be used as slaves or oddities to be shown off in zoo as animals. Native Americans who discovered Europe, they were more like kidnapped and taken to Europe. But well, and this again from your native friend here in media, the Americans and Native Americans that were kidnapped and brought to Europe were ill-treated, to say the least. All died from diseases they had never been exposed to or died by their enslaved conditions. There are stories of some small handfuls of Native Americans that made their way back to North America with horror stories of their captivity, but it didn't help anyone much outside their tribes. The same for, the, for some of the Africans who made it back to their tribes in Africa. Although they passed on their new knowledge of, of the Europeans, it wasn't enough to save them in the end. Which brings us back to the U.S. southern border. Now in modern times, instead of the Europeans going out to conquer new lands, they're trying hard to hang on to what they have. It's all about keeping the different people out now. They're afraid of losing their cultural identity, which they stole in the first place. Given how they got that identity, it speaks volumes about how they want to keep what they have. The drive to maintain power over the perceived lesser humans is still a very consuming ideology. If they get overwhelmed by all these lesser humans, they fear they will lose that sense of superiority, and that's too much for them to contemplate. They can't handle that, and they're lashing out, a lot of times violently. 
the white privilege, soon to be a minority in North America, in some areas they already are, will need to come to grips with this new reality in a new world of global warming, social unrest, famine, and thirst. The same could be said for Europe now. As all of these humans of all sizes, shapes, colors, spiritual beliefs, languages, and cultural differences find their way to more habitable climates, they will outnumber the white people there and change the world, whether the white people like it or not. The white privileged people of the world need to find a way to integrate with all these newcomers soon or risk another global war over resources. Admittedly, there is a tussle over a lack of basic resources in a lot of places around the world now, and this will get worse as the planet continues to heat up. People are already migrating over lack of food and water and shelter where they're coming from, not to mention being displaced by regional wars. This is only going to get worse in the coming years. If North America wants to manage the tide of people, they need to organize more resources to the southern border to handle the surges. And I don't mean more border patrol agents and army reservists either. What they need are more immigration courts and places to house them out of the weather. The courts and officials to determine eligibility for asylum. Temporary housing with nice, caring people who want to help instead of making them think they've entered a police state. Quick access to work, at work visas as they try to fit in and take care of their families, wherever they may be. As far as those who make it across illegally, and I mean coming over anywhere but at an authorized entry, they have to, they have to accept the consequences. The U.S. needs to make immigration and asylum processing faster, and this will make the illegal crossings become less of a thing. It will bring it down to a trickle of smugglers, and much like the rest of the border areas. And I'm talking about the northern border and the, and the coast. Stop all the fear-mongering and use all that energy to speed up the process of allowing these people to find a better life. There are tons of open jobs that these people can do and are willing to do if given a chance. Anything right now is better than where they're coming from. They have the means to sort the bad from the good, and probably 99% of these people are decent human beings just asking for a chance to prove themselves. The U.S. and Canada have knowledge to set up faster processing places, if they can find the will to do so. Everyone is worried that there will be enough food and shelter for them. If this were organized correctly, this would not be a big problem, unless you're in Canada, Canada as they have a serious housing shortage and lack of means to provide this right now. The saying is being said about the U.S., these migrants are being bused to the big cities by idiot state governments with no advance warnings and there are not enough facilities to handle the influx. The federal government could handle this if they wanted to. In the U.S., they claim that there is a housing shortage, but not so much in the very rural areas where the young, privileged people left for the cities and left behind a lot of empty real estate that these new immigrants would be fine with if they could be allowed to go there. A lot of them have and are thriving. But if you listen to the conservative news media, you would think they are just sucking up welfare benefits and not contributing to society. And that's the problem. Some of these rural towns across the U.S. are full of older white people who don't want to share with anyone else not like them. They would rather live in miserable poverty instead of allowing darker-skinned immigrants to live in their towns, while they complain of the lack of jobs and retail establishments that close out due to lack of customers. Then there are the other places, like in Wisconsin that welcome these immigrants who are willing to work on their dairy farms doing the jobs that the privileged don't want to do. They know their towns were dying and welcome, opened up the welcome wagons to all the immigrants. The same could be said for a lot of rural towns across the continent. 
It is the conservative legislators and white privileged descendants of the slave owners that are doing everything they can to keep all these undesirable immigrants out in a fight to keep their jobs and isolated white cultures intact. I have brought all of you to, who listen to this several articles from ProPublica in the past about immigrant issues in Wisconsin, and I have another one from the Wisconsin Examiner about how badly the GOP legislators want to scare people over the migrant invasion and the real truth as given by actual residents, immigrants, children of immigrants, and white rural farmers. Political spin distorts, distorts whitewater immigration crisis by Ruth Conniff in the Wisconsin Examiner. And unless this problem is rectified, North America will continue to be the home to a bunch of whining white privileged people looking for their indentured servants and wondering why there's no one around anymore to clean up after them while their birth rate continue to plummet until it all collapses and those that are left scratch their heads wondering what happened. These migrants are coming, whether they like it or not. They've been coming since the first Europeans set foot on the American continents. It's time these white privileged people get over themselves and figure out how to accept the inevitable. They need to quit being so short-sighted and think about the long history of human migrations going back to the times before the Ice Ages. Humans have been migrating to better places to live since they can walk upright. Get over it. A smart way is to provide a safe, humane way to let them in. Provide a healthy environment that allows them to integrate with the peoples that are already there. There is room in North America if the federal governments would just think about it a little bit and make a few adjustments. How hard can that be? Millions of other immigrants have made, made it successfully since the first ships arrived. Why can't the white people accept this fact? It's time to make room for them, as they are going to push and push until they get in, whether anyone likes it or not. So that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. And I hope I've given you something to think about as you finish out your work week. Thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll return again for another episode of The Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more you share, the more we can convince enough people to make the world a better place to live in. I hope I've achieved my goal and help when you feel like we've been sitting under the Village Oak Tree today. As a Shanake, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. Schlag a foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish. Mm-hmm.